This is the second six of not interviews with writers, more conversations and trying to listen as carefully as I can to what another writer is saying. It's been a tremendous experience for me because I've been deeply moved constantly with each writer by their willingness to try and answer almost anything you ask. Even if there are no definitive answers, the joy has been in the act of almost reaching a solution and an answer to this mystery of writing. Today we're, or I am talking to Liz Nugent, who I think is, um, she's quite a unique writer in Ireland, very unusual. Um, ostensibly writing psychological thrillers, you could say, like Unraveling Oliver, Lying in Wait, Skin Deep is the most recent book. But she's writing them in the way Henry James wrote um, The Turn of the Screw. They're beautifully made books. I think she is um, my favorite sort of writer, which is entirely instinctive, uh, a writer born, and who has made her own, honed her own skill for herself, and has come into the publishing world with three unassailable books, which is also very rare, because her impulse, I think, is entirely genuine, it's entirely to do with the work itself and nothing else. And this is one of the great disciplines a writer needs um, to block out everything else in the making of something. And I'm absolutely certain that's what she achieves. Um, I'm both intrigued and excited to talk to Liz Nugent. So I introduced you just now, Liz, um, as a rather unique writer. Um, a person who is writing psychological thrillers, supposedly, but only in the way Henry James wrote The Turn of the Screw. Um, I, I've been working for 42 years, and uh, when I was made a laureate for Irish fiction, uh, a number of things struck me. One of them was, but what is this thing I've been doing? And I've never stopped to ask its purpose. I mean, academia and journalism tell us all the time what we're doing, but we secretly don't... We like to believe what they're saying, but we know it's not really, really true, because there's a level of instinct and not knowing in writing that is probably more important to us than the intention of this writer in this book was to. There is no was in it. You might look back and notice something, or it would be pointed out to you. So this is a very ancient undertaking, and we have to allow the fact that we're 200,000 years old as a creature, which isn't very long. I only feel like 199,000 years old, so I, think, <laughs> I don't think I'm there yet. <laughs> it's not really a question, because I wouldn't expect anyone to even want to answer this, but have you ever wondered in the stillness of after work, maybe, what is this curious Why we undertaking? Do it? Yeah. yeah. Well, what it is. Well, I, I think of it in the context of myself and the community that I write in, mm. and the Irish writers in particular, and the fact that Irish people in particular are such, um, there's so many of us who are storytellers, mm. and whether we 
write them down in books or whether we make films out of them or, or collections of short stories or poetries. I mean, you can't throw a stone in Ireland without hitting a poet or two. Mm. Um, and I was wondering what it was. Sometimes you're hoping to hit No, that, that's <laughs> But I, I, funny enough, and I was thinking maybe, maybe it's to do with um, the, cold, the long, cold, dark winters. Mm. Or maybe it's to do with the famine, that when we had nothing, mm-hmm. literally nothing, using literally in the correct sense of the word, nothing, that all we had were our stories. And I met a guy, um, coincidentally, from Angola, a writer at a festival in Vancouver this year. And he was saying a similar thing, like Angola would have the reputation of one of the poorest countries in the world. And he said that, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a job and you turn up three days late for work, you better come in with a good story. And it has to be a huge lie. You mm. can't just say, oh, you know, I, I hurt my leg and I couldn't come. You have to come out with the biggest lie because the best lie keeps the job mm-hmm. because they're about stories. Mm. And I just think that isn't that fascinating that countries that have gone through extreme war or poverty or trauma find their soul in stories. Mm. And I wonder if that has something to do with it. No, I agree. I think we are very much African writers in that sense, or we would love to be. Mm. And um, in African literature, there's often a, a tradition of, of mothers. I mean, the story in the mouth of the mother is um, such a crucial thing. Or maybe the, the absence of a story in the mouth of the mother might also mm. affect you in some way. But But there's something else to it that that we don't like to point out oftentimes um, because, because we are democratic souls. And, and it is true that some of the best things I've heard on the air that are literature were in the mouths of people like my great aunt Annie. Their understanding of language was unconsidered and innate in probably the way we should try to remain and uh, when we're when we're working, but there is a strange thing that one feels a bit worried even to reference, which is skill. Yeah. And that distinguishes. See, I mean, your your fate is has been to be a tremendous writer. So, but we say that that sounds a bit journalistic. But not even talking about yourself. You know, what is that when you're reading? Are receiving a book the way we do in these strange kit forms of books rather than orally. What is that tremendosity that affects us? It begins to get a grip of you and you, be, you feel a sort of excitement and gratitude. What sort of skill is that? Could you I, even I, want to define that? I, 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 don't, I don't think there is an answer to that, but mm. I, I, for me, what, what will grab me is the voice yeah. um, and the immediate impact of the voice and do I want to go on a journey with this character? Is, we all ha- often reference the ancientness of, of Irish life. Is it something to do with that that we can, uh, we can recognisably feel our way back into the centuries? We have so, we have so much history. You say the famine history. as if it was last week. Yeah. My grandmother had people in her life who lived through it. Oh, do you know oh, what I mean? We, yeah. All of our grandmothers had, 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 had met people who had survived it. Mm. And, you know, I met some of 
the descendants of those people who, you know, a lot of them came back, a lot of American mm. long lost cousins started turning up in the late 70s and early 80s to our house mm. and were really shocked that we weren't living in cottages and pigs, you know, because that's what they were expecting yes, to find. Yes, well, I've had that Because that's, that's what, that, so those were the stories they My had heard. My girlfriend's father said, what is it like to live in a mud hut? <laughs> well, <laughs> he actually, he's in Switzerland. Yes, yeah. Some years ago, but... But that, that, that's the stories that, mm. that's the story, those were the stories they took away with them. Mm. So those are the stories that came back with these descendants, you know, generations later. Is, is part of our unease with history, though, not also the fact, if you consider in the famine a million people died mm. of fevers and hunger, a million left and then another two million in the next 10 or 15 yeah. years. Um, but it, that did leave four million people. What were those four million people doing, I often wonder? Do you know the, even the American grain coming in as subsistence That's was right. speculated on yeah. as across the Atlantic? Yeah, there's so a beautiful song. By the time it would arrive in, is there? Is, do you, can you yeah, I think I sent it to you. It's, it's oh. um, uh, Paddy's Lament. Ah, yes. Um, yes. It's about a, 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 an Irish... Um, can you sing a bit of that? Oh, God. No, I can't a line, sing. Even a line? Well, no, uh, no, I mean, can you, okay, sing? can you sing um, a bit of that? I, c I can give you a line. Can I give yeah. you a line? Um, it's, it's about a, a, an Irish soldier who's sent off to the war in, in America who, who chooses. So he said, he, uh, one of the lines, I sold my pig and sow um, my, and my, my love I did leave uh, to go off to fight for America, yeah. you know, and leaving everything and then being cheated out of the pension that he was promised. And he's left in America with one leg. He's lost a leg in the mm -hmm. war mm -hmm. and he's, he's lost civil, everything. And all he thinks about is getting back to Dublin. Yes. There's another extraordinary song like that, which sounds odd to our ears, um, which is The Rocks of Bawn. And one of the verses is, I wish the Queen of England would send for me in time and place me in some regiment all in our youth and prime. I mean, the Queen of England, that is such wow. a complicated yes. desire of That's, an Irish person. Yeah. But it does reference the difference you know, of the, the, in the 1840s, you know, a third of the British Army, so-called, was obviously Irish. Yeah. But these, these complications, because I, I also think with the famine, we have to acknowledge that we are probably the descendants of the four million who didn't die. Well, yeah, when you were, you were asking what did the four million do, yes. I think a lot of them drank. Mm. You know, I think, and you know, also Irish, ignore, ignored Ireland's, the famine. The Ireland's, famine was a social catastrophe. Absolutely. Yeah. And Ireland's uh, um, absolute dependence on alcohol mm. must have started around then. Mm. I mean, and many writers did both write and drink, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never been able to manage that. No, me neither. No. <laughs> well, one or the other, but not both. Yes, not both at the same yes. time. <laughs> no. Or even one the day after the other. Yes, and you maybe know, you just one thing off. for one life yeah. and leave the other thing. Yeah. Um, and, well, that's an, that is actually one of the... But I think stories come out of alcohol mm. as well. Because yes. when you lose your mind, it, in alcohol, mm. um, your imagination is, is stretched and bent and mm. warped in all kinds of ways. And mm. lies, truth become lies or alternative mm. news, stories get wildly exaggerated. 
So, you know, the alcohol might have helped the storytelling. Yes. And if you didn't we, want to help your storytelling with alcohol, and if you were sober in Irish history, with both legs deep in the mire of it, yeah. maybe your other instinct at some level is castigation. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a quality in very... And survivor guilt. Yes. And also, too, like the, there's a, you know, the whip of some of Joyce's satirical poetry very early on. Or, or, or uh, you know, in leaving the country, he must put the whip across the back in some way. Absolutely. Um, I think to we justify... We remain. So how, do, to what degree do you feel, not necessarily your writing, but any writing is, is a, it's a criticism, you might say, of the soul of, of your own country, if, they, if it has such a thing? Well, yeah, I go for the jugular pretty much mm. in all my books. I, I mean, I tackle... Um, you give ruthlessness a good name in your work, I think. Well, I try and show it from all well, sides. Well, it's honest. You know. Yeah, it is. But I, I do try and show, like in, in, in Skin Deep, the most recent mm, one. Mm, um, which I'm rereading. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I, I looked at um, abortion, the subject of mm -hmm. abortion, from the point of view of a girl who wanted one and the father figure in her life mm. who was such an adherent to the Catholic mm. Church mm. and so horrified by this. Yes. Uh, that she was, by various means, she was forced into marriage yes. as a solution to the problem yes. to a man she hardly knew and didn't yes. love. The solution to Irishness. Yes. To get yeah. married and remove yourself. Yeah. Take yourself it. out of your community. Yeah. And how and invisible women were, even up to recent times. Hidden away. Go away. Mm. Off you go to a Michael Laundry or off you go to London and yeah. hide your little problem. Not to be found even in a pub. To yeah. reference what we said earlier. Yeah. Um, um, well, we were talking about African writing. Um, I had a rather particular individual, probably one-off kind of mother. My mother, had, like the giraffe, had a black tongue sometimes, you know, because she liked to talk. And indeed, um, talking of honesty, she carried her honesty probably sometimes into fora where you should possibly not be carrying it. Uh, but that made her a rather thrilling mother to have because she was utterly fearless and would say anything. That's what I loved about her. And what, what is, um, would, what, if you had to credit y your own mother either or blame your own mother, would she have had played a part in your um, making as a writer? No, she, is it all the mammy's fault is the question? Well, my mammy was absolutely horrified um, ah. when with you. Oh. Yes, and I'll tell you why. Because do you remember we were both um, long-listed for the... Well, you were short-listed eventually. But we were both long-listed for yes, the we impact yes. uh, a couple of years ago. And I brought my mother along. And you... I was still in my day job at the time. Yes. And you said to me, you must quit your job. And I said to mum on the way yes. home, I said, Sebastian Barry said I should quit my job. Yes. I said, well, what would Sebastian Barry know yes. about? That's well, a good pensionable know? job and, you know, you'd be crazy. So, um, yeah, then I quit my job. Yeah. And I'll always be grateful to you because I was absolutely miserable in it. So well, I she didn't I want to be... I remember that extremely well. And, <laughs> and also, I have to say, it, you know, like I would write a story, it was a completely instinctual thing. Because you were talking to me about the economy, the economy of the writer, and your book had been immensely admired and successful, and you were noticing the curious fact that even so, it wasn't 
giving it was uh, technically it was giving you a wage so below the 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 lowest wage on the island that it, yeah. you didn't even want to think about it, uh, and you thought you had to remain in your job because that was the proper the only thing way to could do. Live, it was the yeah. proper thing to do. It yeah. is, there is a thing called eating at a table and feeding and paying a mortgage. Yeah, um, but I, I just my instinctive answer was just do it because if I had um, strayed <laughs> from that principle activity, even though I didn't have three cents, at least for 10 years after mm -hmm. starting in 1977, I couldn't have ever be been a writer. I, I, there are some people who need to do it completely as their one sole thing. Um, now, I'd say I'm saying that at length because I'm terrified to hear your mother's has taken out that contract in Parnell Street to have me <laughs> killed. But it what only cost her 200 euros, but even so. Um, she, she, would, she, she would always have been so protective that she, and, that she, and she knows that the life of most writers mm. is one of penury mm. and that it is, um, you know, you know the, she, she would talk about, you know, in her young years, um, Seeing Brendan sitting, yeah. having having the awful thing of having Brendan Bean sit beside her on a bus, when he'd be drunk and rambling, yes. and she just she that's that's her image of Irish mm. writers. Yeah, <laughs> I think she thought that's where I would end or up. Or poor Kavanagh yeah. with his sixpence in Pembroke Street. Exactly. Should he put it in the gas or should he buy a glass of whiskey? Yeah. And that was the writer's economy at the time. Yeah. But uh, my the re one of the reasons I said it to you. Actually, I'm really proud of saying it. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> um, um, Liz's mother. Um, one of the reasons I said is, I, you see, it is penury, but it's penury up to a point. And there are other possible states that you can reach. But there's different types of penury. Yes, exactly. There's penury of exactly. the soul, which is doing a job that you absolutely hate well, oh, for 10 years. And that's yes. what I had been doing. This is so true. You know, and that, of the soul. God, it was just, yeah. I mean, I, and I, I, d I did end up, towards the end of my time in, in full-time employment, going to a doctor and saying, I think I'm depressed. Yes. And I think I need antidepressants. Yes. And he said, because um, I'd been in and out to him over the course of the 10 years of this employment. Yes. And um, he said to me, and it was true, I've known you all your life. It's not you. It's the job. And that was the day I went in like. You know, Ali Smith had the same experience. Really? She was teaching. She's a Scottish, brilliant Scottish writer. She is amazing. An amazing woman. But she was teaching, I think, and she got unwell yeah. in the same way. Yes. Uh, and I never even took the antidepressants. I think I took them for two days. So but once I had quit the job, once I'd mm. gone in and handed my notice, this wave of freedom and release and there was no there was no kind of gush of creativity or anything like that that didn't happen no because uh, the work is still work <laughs> but you accepted your outlaw yeah credential yeah i thought i would write one book and mm. that i might make five thousand euros mm -hmm. from it and then go back to work that's mm -hmm. what i thought was going to mm -hmm. happen and what has happened is i'm i've now just submitted my fourth book Mm -hmm. and I'm travelling all over the world mm -hmm. and unlike you I'm not bored of it yet mm -hmm. you know I mm -hmm. still I'm still wide-eyed at mm -hmm. the idea of going to New Zealand this year yeah uh, I'm going to Paris on Monday for a month no I do I've never been to Paris all those things. It's just so 
Uh, it, you'll get to the point where you could do that all year. I know. And you have to start saying you no see, even I'd, to I'd lovely love, things. I'd love to do that. I'm not right. Yes, I know. That's the temptation. <laughs> and some do. Because <laughs> yeah. you, you have signed up for the Outlaws Regiment, basically. And you are, you are, in a sense, fighting a legitimate war, which is to bring great excellence to storytelling for, as a possible medicine mm. for human life. So it is an immense undertaking. And you've written now these three books. And rather like Joseph Conrad, they, they're all of equal stature, which is also very difficult to do. I was trying to say this in the introduction, that your impulse is so genuine and connected to yourself. And I hope now that I say this, it won't enter your head, but it's never entered your head that you know, there's a possibility of, of, in polite terms, fucking it up. Which oh. is what you don't want to do when you're writing a book. Oh, that's if you do it for 42 moment. years, yeah. yeah. You know, that's the great fear. So you need to find yeah. a safe time, that the closed time, where you can put the cowl over your head and everything else vanishes and you make this thing. You, you talked about the darkness of the weather, but you know, the old student poets in Ireland used to be put for a year in a windowless room where they would lie on the straw, I presume, and learn their meters in the dark. And I suppose when you come out of that room... Through chanting? Through reciting? Just to have the absence of light for some reason. Yes, I suppose. Um, and learned to write their epics in that, yeah, in that um, context. And I presume, therefore, if people were successful in this dark undertaking, when they exited, mm. they were the ones who would be... Um, asked to go on. What I wasn't really telling you to leave your job and be a writer, I was asking you. Yeah. Which is a slightly different yeah. thing. Oh, yeah, and getting back to my mum, I would say that she's immensely proud now. Like she really, she, you know, but so. the bowstring rights are ridiculous. And, That's and so important. So, you know, I'm sure she's told everybody that I'm meeting Sebastian Barry today. You know, oh. I'll be, you know, even though Sebastian Barry did. Even though she cursed me on the <laughs> yeah, She did, yeah. Um, but um, she, I, she, it was probably, my, my father was probably the person who took me to the library more. Ah. And my father was more of a reader than my mother. Even though they separated when I was six, even um, on, you know, visits to my dad, uh, being going to the library was always part of the visit, mm. um, probably because he was broke. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And the library was free. Now, now, you know, single fathers or separated fathers take their kids to, you know, McDonald's or something or whatever. But for me, it was always the library, and it was yeah. like a time with dad. The thing you did where with dad. I got yeah. to uh -huh. choose books. For dad shows. time, I thought he used to call. It was a really dad special time. time. Saturday yeah. morning. Dad time. We're going to Carlo to buy a football. Yeah. Dad time. <laughs> It was usually a, a football tag on the whole thing. But the... Did you notice your father leaving? Did I notice him reading? Le leaving when you, when you were six? No. He, he, Do you he, know what I mean? He, yeah, because he was the man behind the newspaper who went out to the office every day. After Unraveling Oliver came out, and it wasn't even a sit-down, it was an email exchange. He said to me, Lovey, I've seen... I heard you on the radio twice this week. And you're in all the weekend's papers. Mm. You need to decide. Do you want to be a celebrity or do you want to be a writer? That's very interesting. I've just had that conversation with a... So brilliant. ...younger writer. Yeah. And it was the best piece of advice I ever got from anybody about the whole writing thing. 
no good for him, wise man. But then yeah. he learned it the hard way. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, when you were in the job, which ostensibly was a, a great job, uh, especially according to your good ma, uh, you know, you, it made you unwell. Yeah. Um, and I, I, for some reason, it flashes through my mind that my Aunt Mary, uh, Mary O'Hara, who was a great singer, singer in her day, she went into a Benedictine convent, an enclosed order. Wasn't she a harpist? Yeah, and a singer. And eventually, she came out of it, not because she lost her desire Vocation. to be a monk, as it were, as she called it, but simply because it was making her ill, and, and she went back to singing. She needed to sing. Mm even though she hated performing. I mean, she's still alive, but she has retired for about 25 years. So this, un this unwellness can also, um, I, was, I was trying to pinpoint this. I think the, the unwellness comes from not being able to express yourself creatively. I think that's where it comes from. Mm. Not that being I wasn't able being able, yeah. yeah. Like in that job, in the beginning of the job, I was allowed to do some writing and I was working creatively mm. but as the job progressed all of those aspects of the job that I enjoyed started mm. being stripped away gradually mm. bit by bit mm -hmm. until I had nothing left mm -hmm. and then I started to feel really really unwell yes and it was but your father your father is pointing towards pointing out another unwellness even when you're doing it mm. which is the gap between what everyone is saying about you and what you are. This is the thing I was trying to clarify for this brilliant younger writer. You know, you, uh, age doesn't make any difference in writing. You can write great poems when you're 22. But I was making the point that it's not that you don't need to know who you are, but you actively don't, you, you actively shouldn't know who you are. Mm. That's, that's part of that, the incohate muddiness of your own self, that's where you're, why you're trying to clarify and make something as clear. The god of all writing is clarity, and that's why you, you have the impulse to do it, because you're working on, on this bogland of self. And it, it isn't just that journalists will tell you what you are, and more fatally, what you're doing, but they, they will persist in doing it. They will tell you over and over again, I would take your father's advice even one step further, which would be don't read. If you have to do events or interviews, don't read the interviews, and certainly don't read your reviews. Uh, th that might sound like a recipe for, um, yeah, for I finally, poor writing, but it's yeah, really important. It, it is really important, and I have finally stopped reading the Amazon reviews. I used to check them mm. daily, mm. and I have finally stopped doing that. Because Mar Marion Keyes told me I would grow out of it. It's yeah. taken me three books. Yeah, I and know. And I have grown out of it. Yeah, you, you know, you <laughs> might lapse. There might be, um, you might need to go to review, being reviewed anonymous if there's such a thing. Uh, um, but, but in 99, when, when I had gone through, when, when, I had been, <laughs> when I had been through the success of the Steward of Christendom in 95, and when you're told you're the greatest thing since fried bread and and not only have you now cancelled out the necessity for having Brian Friel, but probably Shakespeare is trembling in his great, all this nonsense. Um, by it 99, was a great, great play. <laughs> well, it, it was a great, is. great man in it. Anyway, um, Donald McCann, but it, it wasn't so much what it was in essence, because maybe we don't need to know 
have an absolute proof, like a mathematical proof of what we do. We don't need to have people making equations that equal our work or equal mm. ourselves. We need those things to be constantly in flux and, and in the air forever, as long as we need them to be. And to tell a writer that they knew what they were doing or that they had an intention uh, is very frightening because it's all in the past. So what intention are you supposed to have now for the next one? It just makes you very self-conscious. And by 99, I was clinically depressed, I mean moderately depressed, but because I, the gap between what I was, which was in cohate, and what they were saying I was, which was concrete, was, was too great. So I had to learn that process of, of separating myself out from, from yeah. that response, which doesn't seem like an obvious thing because, you know, uh, as Mom said, um, well, he's always saying a man, but a man who... A man may let um, a bad review spoil his breakfast, but if he lets it spoil his lunch, he's a fool. You know, I'm sure he didn't stick to that. But, but there's, you know, there's a truth in that. Well, you, you can have a nice breakfast if you actually haven't read the review at all. I mean, yeah. I don't know how you feel about that. Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm quite active on social media. All right. A lot of people are friends on that. But I, I love it. I love connecting okay. with readers and well, other writers okay, and all of that. But every year around Christmas time, I put up, I post up, the worst review <laughs> I've got of the year. And I go through, like Amazon, and I go through the one stars, and I read all the one stars, and I publicly post the worst review I've got that year. And it's just my Christmas present to the readers who think I'm great, just gotta go, actually, I'm not that great. <laughs> <laughs> and I get great fun out of it. I get great reaction out of it. And of course, yeah. some people are just horrified and think, oh my God, that's terrible. That mm. person knows nothing. I'm going, no, that person is just as entitled to an opinion as yeah. the rest of you. I have to say, it's usually about a year after the book comes out that I mm. realise what it's actually about. Mm. You know, with skin deep. I didn't really yeah. know what it was about until well after I had finished it. Yeah, and when are, I you realized, still, are you sure? I think I know, yeah. yeah. I think I know that, the, that Cordelia is the island. She's wild, she's beautiful, yeah. she's dangerous, she's yeah. remote. Yeah. She is the island. Ah. But I didn't get that until long after I'd finished writing Yeah, but that's such a writer's conclusion, what their <laughs> book is about. She's the island. Yeah. That's so beautiful. It's, it's no, of no use to it's commercial no, Yeah, and actually as a blurb, work. it would be completely But useless. it's thrilling to hear it. Yeah. But isn't that wonderful that it's only a year afterwards that you, you finally... Yeah. And, and, and that's what it's for. And if you had realised the year before you started the book, how lost you would have been? It wouldn't have reflected the book at all. No. Would have ruined I mean, the, the, the pitch that I write to mm. my publisher, is, is, it's just an exercise in futility, really, because the book oh, yes, takes the its page. own... Yeah, Do you one, ever look at that one, I, A half page. I haven't, I haven't even gone back on this one. No. But I know it's I, I wildly never. different no, I never look to where I've ended I think that's to assuage the accountants yeah. that it's they're paying for that something. There is a book coming. There's a bit of reality yeah. to it. Well, Liz, um, there is something to be celebrated when somebody is just at the very pitch of the possibilities of their of their vocation and I think that's you and thank you so much for talking oh, to me today thank you thank you I, I just I'm always so afraid of the next because you're only as good as your next book so you can never celebrate Ignore the success what of I one. just said <laughs> but it was said with love thank you thank you so much <laughs> <laughs>